Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Kingsman The Secret Service episodes. On today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that James and Seb recommended on last week's podcast. Those were Starman and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But before any of that, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that's broken over the past week. Okay, not too much news this week, but quite a bit of news coming out of Spider-Man Homecoming, which has been making some final additions to its cast. And while there aren't any characters confirmed as yet, I imagine we'll probably be getting a Marvel press release before too long with all of that information, and the names themselves are quite exciting. Um, First up, there's Michael Barbieri, the young actor who's about to appear in The Dark Tower, Also joining the cast is Kenneth Choi, who has MCU pedigree after having starred as one of the Howling Commandos, Jim Morita, in Captain America, The First Avenger, and on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But the name I'm most excited about is Donald Glover. Um, Donald Glover is, of course, a renowned Spider-Man fan who many wanted to see cast as Miles Morales back when The Amazing Spider-Man was looking for its lead actor a few years back. Now... I'm a huge community fan, so I am personally delighted that Donald Glover has joined this cast. And based on previous Spidey speculation that we've had on the podcast, I'm going to hope that he's playing Phil Urich. Um, And just on one final note, given that we've already seen Danny Pudi in The Winter Soldier, that means we've got both Troy and Abed in the MCU, so we're streets ahead. To The Wolverine 3 now, and we'll only mention this briefly because it's all just rumours for now, but it's sounding increasingly like X-23, the Wolverine clone and current Wolverine in the comics, will be appearing in the film. That's after a casting call was leaked as well as some set pictures, and there has also been further speculation then that the film will be adapting the death of Wolverine art from the comics. Now, whether Fox decide to kill off Jackman's Wolverine or not, probably depends whether they want a clean break from that character and to put a cap on him kind of full stop or whether they want to retain the option to bring him back for cameos in the future or you know if everything goes wrong just reboot that franchise and start again superman will finally be appearing on supergirl next season that's after the show for all that i love about it stumbled pretty badly by alluding to his presence in the world during its first season but was always unable to show his face The role is currently being cast and he will appear in the first two episodes of season two and I would imagine would probably recur going forward. We've previously speculated about whether with Supergirl moving over to the CW that she could be folded into the Arrow and Flash universe, but the more pronounced presence of Superman in her world would seem to make that even less likely. Um, The show is also casting some other characters. Uh, First up is Lex Luthor's sister, Lena Luthor. Um, We'll also be seeing the introduction of the son of a famous reporter, who will join Kara at CatCo. 
a character called the Doctor, who will be linked to Project Cadmus, which has connections to Kara's missing father on the show, and also an openly gay detective called Maggie, who is working for the newly formed Science Police. So, lots to look forward to on Supergirl next season. And finally... A quick roundup of some other comics-related projects that are being lined up. Brian Michael Bendis' comic Scarlet is being developed for television, according to the writer himself, with Cinemax believed to be the venue, although that is still in early development. That's also the case for J. Michael Straczynski's Rising Stars, which the writer is adapting himself, but in this case for a film adaptation. And it has also been announced that Sasha Baron Cohen is attached to a Mandrake the Magician movie, which is based on the classic 1930s comic strip character and will be directed by Tropic Thunder's Eaton Cohen. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. Um, I will start off with Seb's recommendation, which was Starman. Uh, this is the 1994 uh, Starman uh, from James Robinson and Tony Harris. Um, Seb recommended the first volume, which is confusingly issue zero through five, but also additionally uh, issue six, which is a flashback uh, featuring one of the one of the main characters of this series, kind of an anti-hero called the Shade, who I, I believe is a previous villain, but is more in anti-hero mode here. Um, so yeah, so this this was seven issues in total, and the first issue starts off very strikingly. We see Starman on the rooftop, he's wearing this gaudy red and green costume, and he's talking about his fear of heights, but how that he's not really scared of anything when he's Starman, and he starts to dive off a building, and then he's killed by a sniper's bullet. And it's a really great, strong, arresting start to the comic, and... It kind of sets up this status quo. We then flash back and see that there is there was a future uh, a past Starman called Ted Knight who had two kids. Um, one of them became Starman, and that's the one we just seen killed. And the other one, uh, Jack Knight, who is going to be our hero through this story, had kind of shirts the responsibility of being Starman. Was a little bit different. Didn't want to be a hero is a little bit kind of a nerdy kind of hipster in early 90s Opal City, where this comic is set. Um, and um, he, he kind of is forced to, after he's attacked, his father's attacked and his brother's killed, kind of forced to take up the mantle of being Starman, but decides to do it very differently from how his brother and his father did it before him and kind of does it reluctantly and isn't a hero in your traditional sense so he for example um doesn't want to wear the costume and instead kind of wears just kind of his street clothes with a couple of little pieces of star insignia on them um and this was um pretty fantastic like uh, the the idea of the family being attacked early on it they're being attacked by an older villain called the mist who basically wants to take everything away from the former Starman Ted Knight, so including his children, um, and basically failing to kill Jack is his biggest mistake. And that that ultimately, ultimately, it seems like Jack might be destined to be a greater hero than any of the others um, because he approaches it in, in such a different way. Um, the Mist also is kind of hellbent on taking down opal city and destroying it and um there is a the night where he attacks the knight family he also 
um, set, sets people off on kind of an organised crime spree around the city. There are um, things being stolen from the museums and uh, jewel heists and um, fires everywhere. And this is where the Shade comes into things, who is the character I mentioned from issue six of this series, who is a villain but loves Opal City and he kind of doesn't want Opal City to be plundered and destroyed in this way. So while still being ostensibly a villain does kind of help out um, some of the kind of assorted cast that assemble around Jack Knight as this as this comic goes on and helps them take down the Mist, the elder villain, whilst the young Jack fights his son. Um he also has a the mist also has a daughter and it's kind of at the end of this first arc which is sins of the father it's kind of implied that uh, his daughter may now be kind of like the arch villain for jack knight starman um i i loved so much about this i really liked that it felt different from any other superhero comic um all of the relationships between the different characters didn't feel stock. They felt a little. They all felt like they had a little bit of complexity to them. The relationship between Jack and his father, the relationship between Jack and being a hero, the relationship between the Shade and being a villain, the relationship between the two brothers that we see in flashbacks, um, and so that was all great. Um, I loved the kind of the colors of the comic. Um, when shade is around, it can kind of go into deep blacks and purples. Um, but in other, in other pages and panels, there will be kind of like bright primary colors. Um, lots of yellows and blues and reds and, um, Quite a lot of it will reflect the um, the Starman costume, so that the city kind of sometimes the the sea will be green and the sky will be yellow or purple, and it just it just has a really nice different kind of look to it, and it gives the city a real personality. Which um, just two or three issues in, I felt like I had a sense of what Opal City was and how it was different from any other city that I'd been. Uh, used to reading in comics, be that the real cities of Marvel or the Gotham's metropolises, star cities of of DC. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed a lot about it. the The sins of our father kind of feels like uh, the the arc setting up the status quo going forward. Um, and then there's a few issues of um, a few kind of one off issues that follow that. There's one where a character turns up wanting to buy, well, wanting to get hold of this shirt, which supposedly has a stairway to heaven painted on the back of it. And a guy turns up with a gun trying to take it from Jack Knight, who has it in the store that he runs. And Jack goes, look, I don't want to fight you. I don't care about this shirt. You just want to buy it from me? And that's kind of the crux of the whole issue. So you have this kind of fun, cosmic-y stuff going on in the background. But because Jack is a different kind of hero, he doesn't care. Like he doesn't see the the harm in giving this thing to someone else, so he sells it to them. Um, he says at the end of the first arc that he is his approach to fighting crime moving forwards will be he's not going to go and put on a costume and go around the city and patrol and look for look for stuff going on, like say Spider Man would or something. But if he's around and something happens or someone comes to him, trouble finds him. Then, then he'll deal with it then. Um, and 
it's a really really refreshing uh, version of a superhero I thought um, there is also an issue where um, Starman meets kind of like the ghost of his brother and they kind of have it out and there's like I said that, that relationship is very interesting so that's a, a nice little one shot issue there um, and it's implied that Starman's the former Starman will come back and talk to Jack once a year uh, and then the sixth issue is the issue that Seb was able to use to shoehorn this into the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comparison. Um, obviously, this um, by James Robinson, so from the screenwriter of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. Um, but the sixth issue is a flashback to the late 1800s where Shade, uh, who has given his diary to Starman to read. Now, so Starman's kind of reading the Shade's diary. Um, and it's this story about him encountering, or his friendship with Oscar Wilde back in the late eighteen hundred, back in the late eighteen hundreds, and um, kind of a mission that he went on. But um, most of the fun is his discussions with um, Oscar Wilde. There are allusions to Dorian Gray in there. Um, Shade implies that he had a relationship with um, Charles Dickens, and it was only after his uh, his powers manifested that. Um, he and Dickens fell out and that he could tell that it affected Dickens' writing moving forward. So it, it definitely has a connection to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and these Victorian novels. Um, but it is really fun because, um, like I said, Shade is such a fascinating character in this world um, that he is um, a villain, but potentially also a hero and also very attached to the place he lives. Um and yeah, I I am looking forward to hopefully reading further into Starman because I was really really hooked on these first few issues, and um, yeah, um, it, it was really great. And in fact, this might be one of the strongest minisodes we've ever had for comics recommendations because I'm going to get onto talking about James's recommendation now, which was ostensibly volume two of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, from Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. Um, but basically, to get to Volume 2, I had to read Volume 1 as well. And um, so I read all 12 issues of that, plus those seven issues of Starman. And across those 20 issues, or 19 issues, I just... I had such a great time reading comics this week. Um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Volume 2 is definitely much stronger than the first volume, but I enjoyed the first volume as well. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I just think this is probably one of the strongest weeks we've ever had for the comics recommendations. Um, so I'll start off with a, bit, a little bit of play setting for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic, which is to say that it's slightly different from the, the setup in the movie. So Mina Harker is kind of the person who goes around collecting the team in this comic. Um, she collects Alan Quatermain first, who is an, an older... Um, kind of he, a really let go version of the adventurer from the from the novels he is um addicted to opium and is pretty use pretty useless throughout basically all of the first volume um there's captain nemo who isn't necessarily a flat out good guy hero he hates the english um because he's an indian and he hates the british empire so he is not entirely on board with working for Campion Bond and M, who we will find out is Moriarty. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, and does some less than nice things during the course of this comic. Um, then there's Jekyll and Hyde, and Hyde is even more monstrous here than in the film. Well, just he is... He's the most monstrous version of Hyde that you can think of. The reason explained for him getting as big as he is in the comics, which is something I didn't like in the film, how big, how like a Hulk he was depicted in the film. But it's kind of explained here that to start with, Jekyll was bigger physically than Hyde because Hyde was the dark side of his personality and that was just a small side of him. Whereas Jekyll was more dominant because he was mostly a good man. But the more and more that he let Hyde out, the stronger and the bigger that Hyde got to the point where by the end of the second volume, Hyde has essentially taken over and is dominating um, dominating that pair and Jekyll has essentially disappeared. So that's the reason he's so big. But that also means that he is more evil than he ever was in the novel um, and definitely more than he is depicted as being in the film. And he is just horrible, murderous, unpleasant chap, but happens to be powerful, so serves a place on the team. And then there is Hawley Griffin, the Invisible Man, who is, again, a straight-out horrible character. He is introduced um, essentially raping women in this um, in this kind of, like, um, convent for troubled girls and he's sneaking in each night and raping these girls who believe that they are being taken by the holy spirit and they they kind of all the, the recruiting kind of happens in the first two or three issues and um then a character who is not directly named as fu manchu but is fu manchu is is established and we then see the league kind of to start with trying to take down Fu Manchu, but then trying to save him because essentially Moriarty has fooled them. And Moriarty, who is simultaneously running the organised crime in West London and is also working for the government for MI5, um, needs he is planning on wiping out Fu Manchu in the east of London by bombing the hell out of it. Um, and he's able to do that because of the help of the League earlier on. So the League are kind of a bit hapless in the first issue. They In the first volume, they are kind of being dragged around um, one way or the other. Like I said, Quartermain's incompetent. The other three are awful. And it's only really Mina, um, Mina Murray, as she's called here, but Mina Harker, um, as you'd know her from Dracula, who um, is has really got her shit together at all. But even then, she is being horribly manipulated by Campion Bond and Moriarty. Um, and 
you don't really get much time to pause during that first volume to really think about quite how messed up this team is and that essentially there are two flat-out villains amongst the team. One old guy who's not got his shit together anymore and one guy who in Nemo may have the best of intentions but is also clearly not all good. Um, And the first volume is good. It's certainly far, far superior to the movie that they made out of it. And actually, I don't see... I don't see too much in there for why they would want to fundamentally move away from what this is for the film. It feels like you could do all of the steampunk stuff and you could do all of the team coming together without having to add in the other characters and without having to um, introduce the plot of the League's powers being stolen. Um it's not it's not incredible but it is a good story and the fact that it's filled with really these non-heroic characters is is what makes it is what makes it interesting um and i think it's it's good that james told me to read this volume first because it, it really does feed into the second volume in terms of the second volume is then able to say okay well we've established these versions of the characters and now let's um, explore them further because there is sort of far less of a storytelling burden on the second volume because it's essentially following War of the Worlds and from what I can tell it is it is following H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds very very specifically like it is adapting or the League are interacting with people and of events that are specifically written about in War of the Worlds. Um, and I'm I'm able to know some of that through a little bit of knowledge of War of the Worlds, but mostly those annotations um, that Seven James mentioned on the on last week's podcast, which um, I think are from Jess Nevins and are available online and are incredibly um, detailed and a really useful thing to be reading in the comic. And you can kind of... You can kind of look at something... In, on, on the panel and then glance at the annotations and go, oh, okay, that's what that's referring to. Um, and that's what I did for most of this. I, I wasn't kind of like looking at every page and then, oh, do I need to know that? But sometimes it's very clear that Alan Moore is referencing something literary um, and it's nice to just go, okay, I, I, I guess he's referencing something there. I'm not quite sure what it is. Ah, it's that. Or... Oh, is that a reference to, as in the first issue of the second volume, is that character supposed to be John Carter on Mars? Yes, he is. Who is that other character with him? Oh, that's a character called Gulliver from some stories that, I, that I'd never heard of. But okay, now I have. That's a little bit of added context. That helps. Um, and so that was really fun to have reading through this second volume. Um, and so the story, because it's kind of following War of the Worlds, has has a lot of the the structure kind of set up for it in advance. Like I said, the first issue takes place almost exclusively on Mars and features John Carter and warring characters that have shown up on Mars throughout literature um, before the Martians make their way to Earth. And then so it kind of leaves five issues to explore the rest of the characters. Um, and there's just, there's just some really, really fantastic work done with the characters. Mina is... I I could continue reading that character in countless comics. Um, I found her endlessly fascinating. Um, 
her, her relationship with Quartermain is very interesting as that develops um, and develops into something romantic and sexual, which which is bedded in the first issue. The way that Jekyll relates to Mina is very interesting. Um, the way that um, he doesn't hate her the way that he hates everyone else because he feels like she doesn't fear him. And she says, no, I do fear you. I'm terrified of you. And he says, well, but I can tell in your eyes that I'm not the most, I'm not the most scary thing you've ever seen um, because of the events of Dracula. So that's, that's, that stuff's really nice. Um, and it pays off in a really horrific way because during the course of this volume, the team are betrayed by the Invisible Man, who really is never heroic in this. Although he's on the team, is never heroic in the first in the first volume. He almost abandons the rest of his team at the end um, of the first volume. He's completely self-interested the entire way through. Um, he spies for the team at one point, which is ostensibly helpful. But apart from that, he is a pretty hateful character. And um, I think introducing him in that very rapey way that I mentioned, um, it's a very uncomfortable kind of thing to read, to see that happening. But it is, it maybe is clever from Alan Moore to introduce that and go... You know, like just just to, to have, for for you as an audience, for for you as a reader, to have that in your mind for the for the rest of the comics. Going, I know he's on this team and is supposed to be in a kind of heroic role, but I mean, I don't like this guy. Um, and and the same for Jekyll, really, um, or, or for Hyde, uh, um, less so because there does seem to be some kind of heart or humanity to Hyde, but he is also despicable in so many other ways um and both of those characters are killed by the end of the second volume and i won't go into details about how um the the holy griffin stuff is um fairly unpleasant um it's but it's um it is compelling. I can't. I can't say that any of it, especially in the second volume, is not compelling. And because it all it is kind of all bedded in the relationships and the the character, the work that has been established earlier on, um, and the fact that the comic is able to do all of that, knowing that its structure and its story is all just is there in the background. It's done for it. So the the, the story whips along, and all the rest of the stuff is just how our characters are interacting with that story. Um, there is a, a fantastic bit because in the second half, Nemo and Hyde are paired off. Um, Holly Griffin has re- betrayed them, and then Mina and Quatermain uh, go off on kind of their own submission. And that mission is to get something from who turns out to be uh, Doctor Moreau, and there is the most hilarious laugh out loud moment in this comic where Quatermain and Mina are venturing through the forest and you see this kind of creature creeping up behind them. And knowing Dr. Moreau, you know that that is going to be a kind of... It's going to be an animal-human hybrid. And it is. But it's... The animal-human hybrid is, like all the rest of the characters in this, is from literature or (laughs) or from other stories. And it's Rupert the Bear. And... It is the most hilarious panel in this entire thing where you see this feral Rupert the Bear who is 
the true kind of version of an anthropomorphized bear um, coming at them, um, actually also being introduced whilst Quartermain and Mina are having sex up against a tree. And then we see that all of Moreau's other creations are similarly characters from, I think, comic strips and from literature. So there is the Wind in the Willows characters and there's a there's a Jemima Puddle Duck and a Peter Rabbit and stuff like that. And it's... Um, it is very, very, very funny. But it's also ingenious how it's weaved into the story and that essentially Mina and Quatermain think that they are recruit that they are being sent by Campion Bond and M to get one of these animal hybrids to bring back to London to fight the aliens. But it, what it turns out is that they are they are retrieving one of his other hybrids, which is a disease hybrid and it is a hybrid of smallpox and anthrax i believe which is how they defeat the martians at the end um which kind of ties into how war of the worlds works you know that's that's how the story ends the, the disease defeats the aliens in war of the worlds um it's just shown from a different perspective here um and yeah so volume two is incredible i think it builds on a lot of the work that's done in volume one um, I am I am on board with the the argument that the literary bits and pieces that are stuck in here are enriching. I think rather than distracting, because I and I think particularly because they're just you know a, a Google away to find out what they're actually referring to. Um, and sometimes that's really fun when you realise, oh, heh, that's a reference to that thing. And even when you haven't heard of something, it might pique your interest and go, okay, well. Maybe maybe I'd be interested in reading that book or finding out more about that character or that thing sounds interesting. Um, and there was a reference to a um, to Rupert the Bear being sent off to have sex with a gypsy woman, which um, the annotations told me was a reference to a real life um, obscenity case where some students had depicted Rupert the Bear having sex with a gypsy woman. And that was a big famous court case in the 70s, I think. Um which that led me down a little, you know, like Googling hole trying to find out more stuff about that because it sounded very, very interesting. And um, and yeah, so I, I can't be complimentary about specifically the second volume of The Lee Witch Trolls Gentleman enough. But the first volume I enjoyed well enough as well. It wasn't quite as easy reading as the second, um, but the second paid off so much stuff that was established in the first, particularly in relation to those characters. And like I say, Mina Murray is just a superb protagonist and one that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to keep reading she was great so between Starman and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen it is all of the thumbs up this week and um, yeah I would um, heartily recommend um, all listeners to try and seek out both of them because um, yeah it's it was all fantastic this week all really really good stuff but that is it for this week's podcast. Don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be focused on Kingsman, the Secret Service. We'll be joined by a special guest for that episode as well, which is very exciting. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or head over to patreon.com forward slash Cinematic Universe and you can support us there. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicmultiverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.